Let's, let's stand open our Bibles to Luke chapter 4. We're talking about the book of Luke, and, and I, I hope you're reading the book of Luke. I would encourage you to read chapter 4 a few times uh, over the next week or so here, between now and next week, and really let this passage get into you. I like this aspect of reading a passage, you know, every day, you know, for four, five, six, seven days. That doesn't set aside your other Bible reading, but reading a passage for a period of time helps it really sink in. You begin to see things as you, as you pray. And then as you pray through that passage, you read it, you begin to pray through it. God, what are you showing me here? What are you showing me? What are you revealing to me? Because the purpose of us reading uh, this stuff is to build our faith, to build our certainty, and to teach us how to live. And so it's not just about getting oh, I can really tell the story now. No, it's about getting changed. Okay? So, Luke 4.1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan. What was he doing at the Jordan? He's getting baptized. Getting baptized. Now, he's full of the Holy Spirit and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. For 40 days days being tempted by the devil. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray you bring it alive in us tonight. Let our certainty and faith grow and let our actions, Father, let us become more aware how the enemy would mess with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke is going to begin to show us and his, his intent is to show us the whole ministry of Christ. Remember, as, as you read through this, the, as you read through the Gospels, always you have to remember, there was this confusion about the first and second coming of Christ. They thought that it was all blended together. Uh, they all saw it as this one thing. And they thought the Messiah was going to come and conquer. They read about the second coming prophecies and they mixed them all in. And they had this idea that Jesus was going to come, or that the Messiah was going to come and was going to conquer. They thought he would come as a lion, a lion, a conquering hero. They missed his role as the Lamb of God. They just didn't see how that was going to be all through the conversations Jesus is having with these guys as his apostles, they're confused about that. They're, they're, they're messed up. It's why we've got to be very careful in how we study and read the Word. I mean, when, when James and John said, we want to sit, you know, one on your right and one on your left when your kingdom comes, they're thinking of an earthly kingdom. And Jesus said, you don't even know what you're talking about. You know, when, when Peter's telling him, oh, don't tell people you're going to go and be put in the hands of the Pharisees or whatever, and he says, I, I rebuke you. You don't even know what you're talking about. There's the, when there, this battle about greatness is going on. He's just like, you, you still don't get it. Even after his death, even after his resurrection, even just before he ascends, they're still confused. I mean, hey, he's risen. He can conquer death. We can take the world now. They're still confused. Luke, they, they've now got it. They, they've now understand it. They're, they're, the, God has really brought revelation to him. And so Luke is now battling this battle. He's laying out this, this work of who 
Jesus is as the Lamb of God, that he would be God's perfect Lamb. For him to be God's perfect Lamb, he would have to face temptation and overcome it. This is part of the deal. He's got to face the things that we face and overcome it. All of us have temptation in our life. He had to overcome temptation and be perfect in it. So filled with the Holy Spirit, he is led out into the wilderness, and for 40 days he fasts. No food. He simply prayed, and the Scripture says here he is tempted for 40 days. What we hear are three of these temptations. They all have key elements with them, and I would tell you they are not in chronological order. Matthew puts them in a different order. Matthew's order is probably right, and Luke's is not wrong. It's just he's just telling you the story. We think Matthew has in chronological order because in his, at one point he looks at Satan and says, go away, and Satan goes away. So, Here we go. Some key lessons. The devil, Lucifer, Satan, whatever you call him, is never presented to us in Scripture as an abstract evil presence. It's never just, you know, oh, there's just this evil in the world and, you know, this thing in the world. No, the devil is presented as an entity. The devil is presented as an archangel that wanted the glory of God for himself. He's powerful. He has all kinds of minions. He's he's powerful, and he has other fallen angels under his control. So this is in the spirit realm around us. As Christians, we have to understand, if you want to have victory, you've got to understand there's a spirit realm around us. If you have children, grandchildren, there's a spirit realm around us that is clever, that knows our weaknesses, knows their weaknesses, and brings temptation into their life, brings lies into their life. And we are not helpless against that power. Again, this is why we're having these prayer services. We have these prayer services because the devil is afoot in our country and we need to be uh, chasing him off, getting rid of him. If you go read in the book of Judges, so many times in the book of Judges, they fall under these temptations and they get messed up until God lets them feel the complete result of their sin and they come under the oppression of a real enemy and then they wake up and they begin to call on God. Now, we don't want to be as foolish as them. We have their experience. And, and hear me prophetically say this to you tonight. We in our country have the spirit of the enemy moving and more and more people, though they don't know what they are doing, they are giving in and worshiping that spirit. They are putting that spirit first. 
and the church will either awaken now and begin to pray and push back the enemy or we will find more and more oppression upon the church until it doesn't even look like it is today until we cry out to God, we need help. We're either going to recognize we need help today or it's going to get worse. And I have people say, oh, isn't it just going to get worse? No, it doesn't have to get worse. It can get better. It can get better. The promises of God are still true. It can get better. Things can't change in our country. But we better wake up and begin to do what we're supposed to be doing. This isn't a game. This is a real battle. It's a real war. The enemy is moving in our country, and we better begin to pray against the spirit of the enemy. This is why, you know, we talk in 2 Corinthians 10. We look at at Ephesians 6. We look at these passages where our battle is not against flesh and blood and where we have power to demolish strongholds. That power is the power of prayer where we engage the enemy by the Spirit of God and invite the Spirit of God to come into our lives. Now, it gets personal because some of our families are under attack of the enemy. Some of our children and grandchildren are under the attack of the enemy. And sometimes we're under the attack of the enemy, and we've got to learn to fight him. Listen, if he can mess with Jesus, he's going to mess with us. Jesus knew how to handle him, and that's what we learn when we read this passage. Now, here's some interesting things. We don't seem to get a biblical, physical manifestation of the devil or his minions. What we get is seem, they seem to possess things at times. In the garden, it was this, you know, serpent. Other times, we read about people who are demon-possessed. Now, <clears throat> if you're a Christian, you're a born-again Christian, uh, the devil cannot grab you, throw you down, and possess you. You've got the blood of the Lamb on your life. You are protected from the enemy he cannot do those things to you. He can tempt you. He can oppress you. He can try to get you to, you know, do things, but he cannot possess you. Possession happens when we open some door to the enemy in our life. I believe possession can happen because of drug abuse. I believe it can happen because of alcohol abuse. I believe it can happen because of pornography. I believe it can happen because you're messing with spirits and things like Ouija boards and stuff like that. We just don't need this stuff in our life. It opens a door to the spirit. I believe it can happen through some meditation processes that are ungodly. And you can open your life up. A person can open their life up to the influence and even to the possession of the enemy. I've been in my life around four or five people that I was absolutely certain they were possessed of the, of, of the devil. Uh, the manifestations of what were going on in their life were not of earthly manifestation. It was of a spirit manifestation. We could tell those stories. We've told them before. Uh, so we look and we see that there's this possession, there's this oppression, there's this influence. Peter was being influenced from his own desires by the enemy when, he, when Jesus said, I'm going to go and I'm going to be put in the hands of these men. And Peter says, stop saying that. That's not going to happen. And Jesus recognizes 
here's this guy who is my follower, but he is listening to his fleshly. This is how we get influenced by the enemy. Our fleshly desire has something, and the enemy kicks it in, and we speak up. And Jesus looked at me and said, what? Did he say, I rebuke you, Peter? No. He said, I rebuke you, Satan. I rebuke you, Satan. You know, then he tells Peter, you don't have the righteousness of God in mind. You don't have God's plan in mind. And that let the influence of the enemy influence him. So we have to be careful how we are aligned in our life and what our voices are allowed to say. I've seen many times in the church world where people got aligned with the plan of the enemy and the enemy used them to cause destruction. Just messed with them and used them to wreck things, hurt things. We have to be smart enough to recognize that and to understand it and uh, to, to see it. You know, Peter's quite a guy. I mean, how would you like it if somebody said, get thee behind me, Satan, to you? Peter still hung in there. Uh, sometimes we need to hear, get thee behind me, Satan. So here's what we're warned. We're warned about the devil that he schemes. He plans. He plots. But if we're wise and we know the word, we will not be unaware of his schemes. If we pray, God will reveal his schemes. If we're saying, God, deliver us from the evil one. We're praying over the instances of our life. Deliver us from this. Uh, we can come under his influence if we're not careful. He appears as an angel of light. Most likely that's through people. Listen, the devil is probably not going to come up to you and say, Hi, I'm the devil. Do you want to follow me? He's going to come up to us as somebody who seems to have spiritual authority, somebody with charisma, somebody who really shows interest in us, somebody who really appeals to us, and he's going to subtly, subtly undermine authority in our life, undermine the word in our life, undermine the church in our life, draw us away from being a part of what God has built, draw us out on our own so he can mess with us. That's what he does. And so, so you got these people around, well, I don't need the church. They need the church desperately. The enemy's whispering in their ear they don't need the church. The whole New Testament is about how much we need the church. We need each other. We need each other. We need to be connected with each other. We need to be praying for each other. We need to be teaching each other. We need to be in, using our gifts with each other. The enemy always wants to destroy that. So we have to be aware. He appears like a roaring lion. Again, uh, I've never seen anybody being attacked by a physical roaring lion. But I have seen people being spiritually attacked by a roaring lion. Trying to capture their spirit trying to capture their obedience, trying to devour the spiritual things in their life and overmind trying to turn their mind to wickedness and them think it's okay. When you have wicked, what the Bible calls wicked in your life, and you're embracing it, you are being devoured by a roaring lion. That's what's happening in your life. And you've got to wake up to it. Now, he, the devil, he's smart. But he's not all-knowing. He doesn't know everything. He's not like God. He doesn't know the beginning from the end. 
He's figuring stuff out. He's read the Bible. He knows the Bible better than any of us know it. He's been around this thing for a long time, but he doesn't have it all figured out yet. He doesn't, he doesn't know everything yet, and he doesn't know everything about your life yet. He watches you to see, probably he doesn't, his minions do, watch you because he can't be all places at one time. He's not omnipresent. He's not omniscient. He's not all-powerful. He's not any of those things, but he has a lot of minions that he oversees, and they plot and they scheme. Now, here's the good news. He can be overcome by the believer. We don't have to fear the enemy. We don't have to fear his minions. We don't have to fear what he does in our life. Well, the only thing we got to be aware of is what is he doing and what is his scheme so I can resist it, so I can begin to pray against it. Now, as we move to the, the, the temptations, uh, there's a debate about how these temptations, how the temptations happen. Uh, did Satan physically manifest himself in every one of these temptations? Did he physically take Jesus to the pinnacle? Did he physically, uh, you know, take him uh, to some of these uh, places? Or was this in a spirit state or a dream like we see with Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Paul and John? Uh, was Jesus battling these thoughts in his head like most of us do at some time or another? Uh, so you, you can, you can, you know, kind of rest your you know, your thoughts on that wherever you want to. Here's the truth. In any case, the temptation was real. It was real. It was strong and had, a, had an appealing nature in it to Jesus in the flesh. Now, there is a difference between our temptations and Jesus' temptations. In, in James chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted. Here's how we're tempted. When he's lured and enticed by his own desire. This is what the enemy does. He knows what your desires are. He, he knows what, you know, you're thinking about and what you're dreaming about. And he lures us and entices us to those things. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. Gives birth to doing things our way instead of God's way. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So, we have this, we have a fallen nature. This fallen nature uh, has desires. The flesh has desires. Uh, the emotion of man, all of our fallen nature has desires. And the enemy tries to lure us in those. What may tempt you may be of no temptation to me. I may not have any interest in it. What may be tempting to me may have no interest to you. But the enemy knows, and he's going to try to tempt us. Now, Jesus did not have a fallen nature. Neither did the first Adam. This does not mean the temptation was any less desirable or trying. Adam fell 
to the temptation. And that's why all of us have a fallen nature. What this means is this. It means we have no power on our own to overcome temptation. We have no power on our own to live a victorious life. We have a sin nature. We need outside help or we're lost. Jesus, on his own, had to defeat temptation. He had to obey and honor the Father's will. And so Satan appeals to him to go against the Father's will. Will. It doesn't mean he didn't taste it. He tasted temptation more heavily than maybe any of us did. He just had the inner strength because he was sinless to stand again. He was in communion with the Father to stand against the temptation of the enemy, which is what we get when we get spirit-filled. We get the spirit of self-control, and we can resist the enemy. His victory over temptation leaves him as the spotless lamb that can be sacrificed for our guilt. He has to do this. He has to go through this and be, and be perfect. We respond to the sin nature from birth. From birth because it is our nature. Jesus didn't have that because he was connected with the Father. This is one of the many reasons we should praise him. It's one of the many reasons in prayer that we should thank him. We thank you for being our sacrifice. Wow, look at the things I've done in my past that you now cover, that you now take care of. If I was left on my own, I'm hopeless. Look at how you've changed my heart. Look at how you've changed my spirit. I'm a new creation because of you. All that was made possible because Jesus lived this perfect sin, sinless life that we could never live. He's worthy of our praise. Amen. Give him a clap offering for that. Would you? That's a, he, he's worthy of our praise. Now let me run through these three temptations really quickly. The first one is feed yourself. Uh, Luke 4, 3, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command this stone to, to become bread. He's been fasting for 40 days. 40 days. Hunger is a natural response. When you get something to eat, it's not an evil thing. That's how the enemy deals with us. But the way, he was, the, way the devil was going about it would have corrupted the very plan of God. The great condition that Christ had to meet was to be fully man while he's fully God. Being fully man means he has to empty himself and not do the things he could do on his own, but he had to submit himself to the condition of man, to do nothing out of selfish desires, nothing out of normal desires, in his own power. He had to do everything through the power of the Father flowing through him. The Father, he had to be submitted to the Father. This is the call for us to have victory that is just as true to us. We can't try to do it in our own understanding. We can't try to do it in our own power. When you do that, that's when you get pretty sharp, you know, slapback. 
where the enemy pounces on you because you're doing it in your power and set up through the power of the Spirit. This is why at times we try to witness or do something with our family and the feedback is harsh, attacking. They stay away from it. Why? Because we've gone in our power and not we haven't won the spiritual victory and we haven't gone in spiritual authority as God has told us to go. We've gone as, I'm your dad and you need to shut up and listen to me for a minute. You're making a mess of things. And they look back at us and go, well, I've watched you all in my life and you're not all that perfect either. There's no openness. There's no reception because we haven't won this spiritual battle. Jesus had to submit himself fully to the Father. He was being tempted to go on his own instead of depending on the Father. He had, to be, he, he had been led by the Spirit into the wilderness, and he had to depend upon the Father and the Spirit in the wilderness. And so Jesus answered him, and he says, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. Now, I don't know about you, but after 40 days of fasting, I'd probably be saying, I should, 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 really could use some bread. But Jesus was understanding. Jesus understood what the temptation was about. And it wasn't simply a temptation to get bread. It was a temptation to do it in his own power instead of waiting on the Father. And that's the temptation we have to struggle with. Jesus was saying that his source is the Father. He was empty of power and would not serve himself. Now, as you look at these responses, all of Jesus' responses would come from two chapters in, in Deuteronomy. They would come from chapter 6 and chapter 8. We, we believe that he most likely used these because these were key line These are what we might call life verses that were taught to Hebrew children from the earliest age. And being able to put these in the book of Luke, the Hebrews that would read this would capture these verses and know the meaning of them. They saw saw teaching their children the word of God as a high priority of life, the religious people did. It should be a high priority to our life. It should be the most important thing to us. It should be more important than their athletic endeavors. It should be more important than their other academic endeavors. The most important thing in our life with our children and our grandchildren should be to teach them the Word of God. Let them know the Word of God. It is the one eternal thing we can really teach them. This was Jesus centering his actions on the truth that his relationship with the Father is more important than anything else. Today, we're tempted to give up that relationship with the Father to pursue money. Sometimes we're tempted to give up that relationship with the Father to pursue pleasure. Sometimes we're tempted to give up that relationship with the Father to be in relationship with somebody we shouldn't be in relationship with. We are tempted to put those things first and for them to become our source for joy and our source for meaning 
instead of God's being pleased with us and trusting God to meet all of our needs. This is the essence of this first temptation. Again, in Luke, these events are not always in chronological order. So let's go to the next one he has. The next one, the means to an end. And Luke 4, 5 says, And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If then, if you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Okay, so what did the devil know at this point in time? Well, we don't, we don't know for sure. It seems he may have been confused about everything that Jesus' purpose on this earth was about. The Jewish leaders were. He may not have been fully aware of the plan of God for the redemption of man, the freeing of man. He, he may have missed some of that just like they did. At the end, he's really trying to get Jesus to turn away uh, from, from the cross. So he's, he's beginning to see some things maybe by that time. But here he tempts him to a shortcut. You're supposed to be the conquering Messiah? You're supposed to be the overcoming Messiah? You're supposed to help everybody's lives? You're supposed to change everybody's lives? Be the Messiah. I'll help you. Conquer the world. You can have it all. You can be the Messiah. He appeals to the pride of the flesh to turn away from the sacrifice needed for God's real victory to be achieved. This is where they struggle. They struggle with this fact that they wanted a kingdom to be built out here now when Jesus knew what we really needed was a new kingdom to be built here first. This was the, this was the prime kingdom, ours, our life, that Jesus was addressing. So here we find Luke laying the foundation of the work of the cross, that Jesus wasn't here to conquer the world. Let's understand, this, this, this temptation was a, a temptation to not go about the full business of God and to take the way of pleasure instead of doing the full business of God. And in Luke 4, 8, it says, And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. What's he saying again? God must be first in our life. Our temptations may be less dynamic than being offered the world. We're not offered the kingdoms of the world. Jesus was offered an easy and quick way to be the Messiah. He could rule the world and Satan would help him. But Satan's way would have subverted the plan of God and been in rebellion to God and he had to choose a tougher path. Over the years, I've had students come to me, even recently, and they'll come to me and they'll, they'll say they're being picked on by their friends at school. My kids have said this to me. My grandkids have said this to me. Other kids have said this to me. And uh, these kids are really making it hard on them. Their feelings are hurt. Uh, and so they, as they've talked to me, I, I will say, to, I, I say to them, I say, well, I'm going to give you a couple choices here. Uh, you could punch them out if you want to. You know, just pop them in the mouth. What do you think? What's going to happen if you do that? You see them looking at me like, is my pastor telling me 
my dad telling me to pop that guy? No, 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 that's, that's an option. Or you could make fun of them. You could, you, could, you could say things to them that hurt them. You could say things to hurt their feelings. In fact, I could give you some things that would really hurt their feelings if you said to them. You want me to give you some things to say to them that will really hurt their feelings? <laughs> and, and when it's said out loud like that, it, it just it sounds wrong, doesn't it? But see, that's what's going on inside. What the, what's going on inside is your flesh is saying, pop them in the mouth. Your flesh is saying, speak back to them. You're being tempted to be a part of the world and try to answer your problem as a part of the world. That's what you're being tempted to. And then I'll come back and I'll say, I say to him, okay, uh, you can say, uh, say this to him. You, you can see this as a temptation that you need to win in the flesh and you can decide that you're going to obey God and his desire for and purpose for your life, then let them control your purpose for your life. And you can look at him and you can say, wow, I don't feel that way about you. I'm sorry you feel that way about me. When you see them something good, do something good, you can still cheer for them. Even though they boo you when you say do something good. You can choose to show them the grace of God. Now listen, it doesn't mean they're going to stop. What it says is, is that God's way is first and you will not get God's means by following Satan's ways, and you're going to choose, no matter how they act, you're going to act through the Spirit of God. Now, what do you think you should do? See, the enemy moves right in our own life to try to get us to act in the world and in his power instead of acting in God's power, to carry the grudge, to remain in bitterness, to attack back, to get filled with anger and to lose our cool and to be mean-spirited. He, he, just, he appeals to that in us. And in, in we've got to decide who we're going to follow. In Matthew's rendition of this, when Jesus says this to him, I'm going to you know, follow the Father, worship him only. He's going to be first in my life. Not even the goal that I have of taking this world is going to be first. God is, the Father is going to be first. He looks at him, he says, now, go away. And the enemy has to leave. That's a great thing to hear. Number three in, in Luke's layout is faith over fanaticism. In, in Luke chapter 4, verse 9, uh, it says, And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. From here, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Have you ever thought? Maybe I'm just, I'm probably just a weird one. Have you ever been by a pool or a lake and thought, boy, wouldn't it be cool just to, if God would just let me walk across this? You know, maybe even the enemy whispering, just go ahead and walk across it. Just, just tell everybody here that you're a Christian. You're going to show them what a Christian can do and walk across. You know what's going to happen? You're going, to get, you're going to be a wet Christian when it's done. That's what's going to happen. 
Have you ever been in a theme park with all your kids and it's raining? Wouldn't it be cool to just rebuke the weird, the, the rain and go, get away from here? You know, here's the deal. Jesus could have done any of those things. Did some of them. But sometimes we get our desires mixed up with God's desires and God's word. This temptation comes from Psalm 9111. And he leaves out the words, in all thy ways. He leaves out this call that as you're going through life, in all the ways of life, God's going God's to protect the son. Bible, the Bible didn't say he's going to be able to throw himself randomly into things. And it's going to work out. As you're going through the life, uh, not as you are tempting God to glorify yourself before the world. Jesus' response was, Jesus answered him, it is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Test or tempt here means to see how far you can go with someone. You're not, you're not supposed to go and say, okay, I'm going to see how, how far I can go with this. God does not do miracles through us to glorify us. In fact, that is a disqualifying attitude that will eventually be revealed. If it's about bringing glory to you, it will eventually be shown for what it is as nothing. We miss this sometimes when we read the Bible. Listen, Moses wasn't great. God was great through Moses. He was faithful, but Moses was a man just like us. But he was faithful, and God is great. David wasn't the champion over Goliath. God was the champion over Goliath. David said it before he went down in the valley. God has taken me. He's helped me kill the bear. He's helped me kill the lion. He'll do the same thing with this giant. David knew this isn't David. This is God doing what he's going to do. This is the temptation is for us to glorify ourselves, to try to put ourselves in place where we, places where we look big instead of constantly remembering that God picks up the humble and he casts down the prideful. God does miracles to glorify his plan. Listen, you, you can't say, I'm going to spend all I want to. I'm going to ring up my credit cards because I'm a tither and God has to meet my needs. You're going to be a tithing believer with great big credit card debts. Or what other, other way you want to try to put God to the test? You've got to be obedient to God and do things God's way. The pinnacle was one of the high points of the temple, the pinnacle of the temple, looking out over the Kidron Valley. It was, they say, a dizzyingly, dizzyingly high peak. If you'd have been there, you kind of, people would just go, wow, looking out over it. If he would have thrown himself off and God would have picked him up, and all of a sudden he's floating through the air like Superman or something, it would have been a, revela it could have been, it would have been a revelation of God saying he's the Messiah, but God wasn't going to work that way. The fanaticism road is lined with self-glorifying actions and desires that we say point to God, but really are about pointing to us. In that case, they will fail 
because it tempts God and puts you in God's place instead of putting us humbly before the Father. The Father was going to do amazing things through Jesus, but he was going to do it in his time and in his places so he could glorify Jesus as the humble servant that he was. Jesus would tell him, get out of here, go away, and the Bible says he's going to leave for a time. Now, that's true for all of us. The enemy comes, and he tempts us, and when we're wise, and we're filled with the word, and we're armed with the word, and we know the word, and we don't give in to the temptation, and we resist him. What does the Bible say? Submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So it's not just resist the devil and he'll flee from you. You've got to first, what? Submit yourself to God. Be in obedience to God. Resist the devil. He's going to flee from you. In every area of your life, God, what I want to do with this kid of mine is I want to go get in their face and tell them what an idiot they're being and that they need to straighten up right now. And God says, shut up. Don't do that. Just pray and trust me right now. All the day comes when God says, today's the day. Go talk to him. Don't call him an idiot. Tell him you love him. Don't tell him how stupid he's being. Tell him what plan I have for him. And God gives you a completely different way that begins to smash down and demolish arguments that set themselves up against the plan of God. But it comes in God's time. Satan would leave for the time, but you'll see him back in the picture all through the book of Luke. He keeps coming back through people, through circumstances, through stuff all the way up until Gethsemane. When Jesus wins the final victory on the cross for us. Amen? And what God tells us is you can have that victory too if you'll submit yourself to the Father like he did, not try to do things your own way, if you'll submit yourself to God, to God, you'll obey God, you'll resist the enemy, he's going to flee from you. Amen. Let's stand together and let's pray. Just bow your heads for a moment. Lord, right now, in just this moment, if there's any place where the enemy is sidetracking us from your plan uh, just speak to our hearts tonight Lord we've seen many more than we want to count Father we've seen many who've let some little thing of the enemy get a foothold in their life and wreck them wreck their family wreck their health Father it's heartbreaking We've seen many others, Lord, that at first glance, we wouldn't have thought they had a snowball's chance. But God, you raise them up as mighty men, mighty women after your heart because they kept their eyes on you. Lord, today, we pray that none of us would be unaware that there's a scheming enemy who comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Let us be aware and let us know how to fight him. 
Let our lives be wholly submitted to you. Let our voices be armed with the power of your word. And Father, let the enemy know he has come up not against our power, but against your power. And let us walk in the victory of your spirit. You know the loved ones we have that are far from you. And we just, Father, we take the stance of standing in the gap before you in their behalf. And we pray, Lord, you would silence the enemy over their life. We pray you'd reveal your spirit to them. We pray you'd clear the road and that your spirit would would come and convict them and draw them to you. Father, we, 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 we don't care how strong a hold the enemy has because we know you are stronger than the enemy. You are abundant in power. So, Lord, we thank you for that. And we pray that our spirits would be encouraged spirits, but we would also be wise unto the battle. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you. God bless you. Go in the name of the Lord tonight.